Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, this is Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Fettles, and we're here uh, at the beginning of our third year of helping nonprofits, uh, public and private organizations help get better, faster broadband everywhere it needs to be here in the U.S. Uh, this is um, literally, actually, it is our second uh, anniversary. We started this show uh, July 27th in 2011, and some 150-odd interviews later, we're still going strong, and thanks to our audience uh, for being uh, constant supporters. Uh, ah, good morning. We had a little bit of a blackout here, I think. Uh, good morning and welcome to the show. Uh, I want to thank everyone for, for being our guest today and for being our guest over the last couple of years. We have been at this since uh, July 27th of uh, 2011. Uh, we've got probably a good 150-some-odd interviews uh, in the in the can, as they say, and uh, it has been an interesting run. I thought that you know it would be really good for this anniversary show to uh, to bring back my very first guest on the show, who um, who helped us get this whole thing kicked off back in 2011, uh, Jim Ingram, who is the uh, vice president of strategic research at EPB which is the public utility that uh, owns and runs the Gigabit Network in Chattanooga. And, Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. It's a, a real privilege to be back after, uh, you know, it's been a couple of years since you kind of kicked this thing off. Con- congratulations on the success of your show. Thank you very, very much. Thank you very, very much. And I think it has been, uh, you know, definitely, obviously, the, the, the quality of the guests that we have managed to uh, get on the show, and so for that, I thank you for both one having faith in us in the beginning when we really weren't sure where this thing is going, and and to come back. Uh, you know, the, 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 a lot has gone on in the last couple of years, both for uh, you know the show, and obviously a lot has gone on for or uh, with the network in Chattanooga. So let's just jump right into it. In in the last two years, I think I talked to you guys literally like days or at least a couple of weeks after you made the uh, announcement that you were going to be starting gigabit service in Chattanooga, what have been some of the, you know, the major milestones that you guys have reached in this last two years? Uh, okay. Well, here here are a few. We, uh, we have completed the construction of our fiber optic network. Um, we've completed the construction of our smart grid which was re- really the motivation for EPB to build the communications capacity in the first place. So we have deployed automated meters uh, to every one of our customers in our 600-square-mile service territory in East Tennessee and North Georgia. Uh, we have installed automated switches called interruptors uh, on the circuits on our electric system. So between the automated meters and the automated switches on the electric system, we now believe we have, and the software systems that control those automated switches, we believe we have one of the most automated electric systems uh, anywhere in the United States or possibly in the world. 
the electric system has historically been an electromechanical type of system, so if there was a fault on it, you had to send a crew out to find the fault. You had to send people out to physically throw switches to de-energize lines and crews to then go work on the lines and then reset the switches when they were done. That would all take hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just recently, um, just, a, just you know, here this past spring, we had a windstorm in Chattanooga um, that uh, we got up past 20-mile-an-hour winds. Um, we had uh, quite a few customers. We would have had over 10,000 customers out just for trees down. Because these automated switches reroute power as power is interrupted, we, you know, instead of 10,000 customers being out for hours, it was really, uh, you know, less than 100 customers that were out for just a very short period of time. So we're improving reliability um, of the electric system using our fiber optic network substantially. Uh, On the communications side, uh, our fiber optic business, our um, internet, IPTV, and telephone service has been growing at a very healthy rate. We're, uh, you know, we're at 50,000 customers now and continuing to grow. Of course, we offer everything from 50 up to gigabit symmetrical internet service. Uh, we have over 400 channels and just about any kind of programming that you'd like to see on our TV offer, and we now have that available on our website over the top, so you can watch premium channels, you can watch the news, you can watch sports uh, through our website at uh, epb.com if you're an EPB service subscriber. Um, so our our service offer has become more dynamic on the communication side. It's been growing. And uh, we're just beginning to see the benefits emerge from creating a more state-of-the-art electric system that's automated. Uh, Our people do more problem-solving today, um, you know, based on managing our systems and data uh, than they ever have before. Mm -hmm. Now, the you know, we talked about uh, we have talked about the the smart grid in, in Chattanooga. Uh, a couple of times over over the last couple of years, and some other folks from EPB have been uh, on the show. In addition to the technical impact of uh, the network on the smart grid, the smart grid really has been as much an economic development play as it has been a technology win for Chattanooga, hasn't that? A- absolutely. Um, before... When we set out to build the fiber optic network, we did some economic economic studies. Uh, we worked with um, um, Sharon Gillette at the MIT Media Lab. Uh, we worked with um, Dr. Salman Roosh, who is a World Bank economist, and Bento Lobo, who uh, holds, holds the UC Chair of Finance here at our own University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, um, basically to develop a some sort of a forecast on what was the public benefit that was likely derived from both building the fiber system and from building the smart grid. Um, we used economic modeling tools that are used today to figure out if I build an airport in my community, what's going to be the benefit of that? Or if I build a sports stadium or a hospital, what's going to be the benefit to the community? Um, you know, over 10 years, you know, doing net present value calculations we were expecting, you know, we're, we've been expecting in the range of $800 million worth of 
uh, investment and job creation, over 4,000 jobs. Uh, we were forecasting that back in 2006 um, with the relocation of the, with the construction of the Volkswagen plant here, the Amazon distribution center that has been located here where the president will actually be speaking tomorrow here in Chattanooga. He's in there tomorrow, yes. Um, the, um, you know, these things have been a, a, a real good economic development bump for Chattanooga. We've had uh, companies like HomeServe moved from Miami, Florida to Chattanooga, and they came. Uh, you know, they'll tell you a big part of the reason they came was for the bandwidth. Um, you know, the folks at Amazon will tell you that the distribution center here is uh, one of the busiest in their systems, and the reason is because the Internet is so fast they really are processing more business through it. Um, so, um, you know, industrial prospects that come looking for places to relocate, uh, obviously are finding this a, a relocation advantage. Our existing companies, uh, from an expansion standpoint, uh, we knew from just our own economic studies that we were losing about $100 million a year in productivity due to short-term electric system outages uh, on our, because due to you know, short-duration uh, interruptions of power, you know, less than 20, 30 seconds. With the deployment of the smart grid, what's happened is we've been able to eliminate 40% of that right out of the chute. We're now approaching 60% of that. So 60% of $100 million is $60 million a year. Over 10 years, that's $600 million for a system that cost us just let, you know, less than $200 million to actually build. So the benefits are deriving, and what's happening is when our Local manufacturers are competing for expansion dollars with other manufacturers in other places that are branch plants of a you know, larger corporation. Because the electric system is so much more reliable, it makes the plant more reliable. It makes it a more attractive site to invest those capital dollars and expand production. Mm -hmm. So the, the, uh, the uh, president's coming in this one. I just noticed that about three hours ago. What's the um, what's the focus of his visit this time around? Well, I, I don't. I, I to tell you the truth, um, Craig, I'm not completely sure what exactly the president will say. Uh, I you know I I read the papers kind of like probably you do, and um, you know I think the president is out talking about the economy and how to mm -hmm. uh, you know jumpstart the economy again. I. I'm sure he wants to, you know, point to the Amazon facility and Volkswagen out there as examples of economic growth that are, um, you know, that, that are happening in our country as, as the economy slowly uh, heals itself. Uh, I guess, you know, I guess we would all hope he'll he will be talking about his ideas tomorrow for uh, giving the economy another boost. Um, yes. You know, in okay. A productive, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I just got a ping here. He is uh, actually going to be at the uh, Amazon plant and uh, will undoubtedly be talking about economic development and so forth. And clearly, uh, you guys have a uh, a leg up and a, and a story to, to tell in that area. In terms of other economic development, if I you know look back at all the things that I've read and and what some of the various guests have talked about on on the show who've been from different parts of the EPB organization and also Gig Tank has been uh has been a guest on the show or their 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 participants in their summer program 
have been a guest on my show the last two summers, um, just in economic development alone, okay, so we take away the, 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 the smart grid and its impact on uh, businesses because it's made business uh, production or productivity greater. Uh, what about the other economic benefits that you guys have had just by having the network there spurring all kinds of technology innovation? Well, I think one of the things that um, that we've been uh, thrilled to see happen and happen all by itself without a lot of uh, help from us. Of course, we support it, you know, in every way we can. But there, we we have seen an entrepreneurial tech uh, IT based community begin to grow here in Chattanooga. Um, that is part of the efforts of our CoLab, our business development center, which is our business incubator. There's a firm in town, a venture firm called Lamp Post, uh, and there are other, several other venture outfits uh, here in Chattanooga that are, you know, we're now attracting, uh, you know, young entrepreneurs, young IT people uh, from really all over the world for the Gig Tank program and to come to town to take advantage of the communications capacity that's here in Chattanooga and uh, to build new soft software applications, whether it's a, you know, a wireless smartphone-based app or it's, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a uh, hardware-based uh, system, a company called Banyan that won the um, Gig Tank uh, competition last year has developed a, a system for scientists to collaborate and protect the intellectual property on their projects as they develop them, develop them and by sharing the these you know, huge data files that are six, seven hundred megabits, uh, you know, across the country or around the world, uh, you know, you need the bandwidth capacity to make that work. So we're we're seeing more and more of that begin to happen. The uh, Mozilla Challenge has come to Chattanooga. This is a program sponsored by the National Science Foundation. Uh, they have made some awards to some entrepreneurs here in Chattanooga. Uh, young, smart, young PhD candidate and computational engineer, engineering named, engineering named Bill Brock. He uh, took the Connect uh, system on the Xbox, and he's developed a three-dimensional video system uh, that works off the Connect uh, that he's now using in cooperation with our aquarium here and a oceanographic institute in Massachusetts, and he's developing educational tools that allow you to teach in a three-dimensional, in a 3D video kind of environment. And you need the kind of bandwidth that uh, we have available to make those things work. So we're seeing those companies, they're beginning to, uh, you know, to be born here. Uh, they're beginning to grow here. Um, you know, that is something that is a new development in Chattanooga, really, kind of in the last 10 years. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we think that the fiber optic network has been a catalyst uh, for some of that excitement. It's been pretty cool to watch. Mm -hmm. So now, um, has this exceeded what your initial expectations were? Especially if we look back, you know, two years ago to the, you know, to the conversation that you and I had here on the show, and the the, the potential of a gig was was pretty, you know, pretty intense. I mean, people were expecting a lot. Then I realized, um, yeah. and, and talked about. But in the reality, have you met or have you even exceeded what you guys expected two years ago? 
Well, I think from the perspective of the business that we launched, and if we, you know, let's talk about it first from, you know, a financial perspective because we've been talking about the community benefit. Um, the business plan we developed, uh, we've far and away exceeded all of our performance targets, all of our financial targets. Um, we have uh, about an $80 million a year communications business now. Um, it is paying a fee to our electric system to use the fiber optic network. Uh, with some of the storms that we've had here in the last two years, uh, if we had not had the, the communication system revenue that we're getting today, uh, we would have had to have rate increases to pay for the uh, to restore the damage that was done. In 2011, we had eight tornadoes uh, come through Chattanooga at one time. It cost $25 million uh, to rebuild the electric system. After that storm, we typically budget about $5 million a year for um, storm restoration work. So if it had not been for our communications business, uh, it, it is helping us to hold down electric rates. Our Wholesale supplier, the Tennessee Valley Authority, has had a long string of electric, wholesale electric rate increases, and you know we've been able to um, you know hold the line on some of that, especially for our industrial customers. Mm -hmm. um, we we are we are paying more in taxes uh, to the city and counties that we that we serve. We pay in in lieu of tax fee. Um, and uh, we're paying in several million dollars a year more than we did before we went into this business. Um, the money that we're taking in, we spend here mostly locally, so it's not going to, uh, you know, off to some corporation in Philadelphia or Texas or wherever it might be. A lot of the money that we take in stays here locally, so that's also a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, businesses are much more productive. Uh, because of the bandwidth capacity that they have today, because they have a more reliable electric system. I talked a little bit about some of the reliability gains and how that helps companies save money. Um, when you talk to customers, uh, you know, people know, do notice how fast, um, you know, their Internet is now, how fast the upload and download is. Uh, we're actually caching Netflix now on our network, so Netflix downloads their movie libraries updates at night to our servers here in Chattanooga. If you download a Netflix movie in Chattanooga, you know it just takes a couple of seconds, and bam, you're you're in business. Um, so people notice people notice the speed, and people all of a sudden start to take advantage of that speed in creative ways. Uh, we talked to a young man, uh, computer science guy, uh, living here in Chattanooga. He was a contractor for Google and Microsoft. Um, he was under a lot of pressure from them to move out to the West Coast. Uh, when our network deployed and he signed up for our service, uh, you know, in just a few months he did 150 video conferences. Uh, he was able to send his work uh, online much faster out to the West Coast and get it back. Uh, he, he told us he calculated that in a, in a year he was gaining about 17 work days or 17 days of billable hours that he was waiting on, you know, data transfers before. He said, that was my, that's money in my pocket, and aside from that, they've quit asking me to move out west, and I can stay here in Chattanooga, live where I want to. So mm -hmm. there are a lot of stories like that of small businesses that do work online. There are companies that 
uh, inspect carpet, a company called Bicycle here in town uh, that uh, do carpet analysis. Uh, they do a lot of that work online and our, our service has made it possible for them to grow and expand. Um, so I think the answer to your question is financially the uh, deployment of the system has been very successful. The public has taken to it. Um, they seem they trust the service that we provide. They know that we'll be fair with them. Um, they know that the service is reliable. If anything goes wrong, we'll fix it. Uh, I think the community feels like we offer a good product at a fair price, that we're working for them to make their lives better, more comfortable and convenient, uh, while at the same time offering opportunities for economic uh, growth and uh, an improved quality of life. Um, which does enhance our economic development capacities. Um, you know, while we're a not-for-profit entity, uh, the money that we're taking in is allowing us to innovate our product line to retire the debt for the dollars that we borrow, borrowed to build the system. Uh, as I said, it is helping uh, the communication system is becoming an active economic partner with our um, with our electric system. And the combination of the two is made for a much more robust business than we had before, much more mm -hmm. modern. Excellent, excellent. Now, there's always the question, you know, how do you do that? And, of, and of course, the answer itself could be probably two or three books by itself. But <laughs> but just give us a little bit of, a, you know, some of, some of the better points. How are you able to, one, uh, realize the goal because you guys took on a fairly decent chunk of you know uh, debt in order to to make this this work in the in the first place at a time where a lot of communities across the U.S. are struggling just to take care of the the, the basics. So you guys, you went out on a limb, you uh, raised money, bar not I don't know about borrowed money, but you got money from grants and so forth. How did you you know make this work? Um, well, first to answer, how did we raise the money? We, we raised the money through a revenue bond offer. Um, we did a $220 million revenue bond offer um, back in 2008, 2009, I believe. Um, and then uh, in 2010, uh, we got a $111 million uh, grant from the federal government, which we matched. Uh, under the Recovery Act, what was called the Department of Energy Smart Grid Investment Grant Program. So, under our original business plan, we really our plan was to actually build the smart grid and the fiber optic network first within the city limits of Chattanooga, and then over a seven to ten year period, out of future revenues from the communications business, we plan to expand the fiber optic network and the smart grid to everyone in our service area. What the DOE grant did was allowed us to build everything we intended to build in two years. And so we were able to build the system, the entire system, really over a three-year period instead of a 10-year period. So that was the first, just how we financed it and, you know, the kind of the timeline to physically build the network. But if you, want to embark, if you want to embark on this journey, there's kind of four things, big, big things, that I think any organization needs to ask itself. I think the first question you have to ask yourself 
is what is the quality of your brand in the community? Um, how well does the public at large, the business community, the political um, leadership in your service area, what, what's the level of confidence that they have in you as an organization to take on a challenge like this? And EPB really started all the way back in 1996 when Harold DePriest became CEO to modernize the company to focus on customer service and focus on making sure that the services we provided were valued and fair for the people that we served. To gain the confidence of the population that we were an active partner in trying to accomplish our mission to improve the quality of life and economic opportunity for everybody in our service territory. So we had to have the support of the public, we had to have the, have the support of the business community, and we had to have the confidence and support of our elected leadership to go down this road. And that was a long-term process to make sure that all three of those arena, all three of those constituencies thought this was a good idea, um, supported our doing this, believed we had the capacity as a company to do it successfully. So we went out, and when we were ready to, to start this process, we spent a fair amount, a good amount of time. Everybody in EPB got trained to tell this story. We went out and talked to everybody in town who would give us an opportunity to tell the story, and our message was simple. We, here's what we would like to build for Chattanooga. Um, here's what we think it will do for Chattanooga. Uh, we believe that we have the ability to do it and to make it work. Uh, and, and we asked a simple question, would you like us to do it? And if the answer is no, then we'll accept that and, and move on. But if the answer is yes, then we'll probably proceed with doing that. So the first thing I think that, that's really important is that you're building that confidence among the public that you can take on a challenge like this and be successful. I think second is the culture of your organization. Um, and it took, a, it, it took EPB, EPB has been working on its culture, uh, you know, for the last 17 years, again, going back to, really back to 1996 when Harold DePriest took over. Um, you know, he's one of those visionary leaders um, that, that recognized uh, the electric utility, you know, especially retail electric distribution, the culture has not changed all that much going back 80 years. I mean, the old saying goes, if Thomas Edison took a walk down a typical American street looking at the electric system, you know, up on the poles, he'd really kind of be right at home because it hasn't changed that much. You know, for every dollar of R&D that just about any industry you can name has invested, our industry's invested around a nickel. So, you know, there hasn't been a lot of modernization. The era of information technology and the productivity that came from that in the 80s and the 90s, um, you know, were not really strictly applied across, especially the retail distribution side of our business. So getting your workforce to think about managing a communication system, learning to build a communication system, learning to build the software systems that allow us to eliminate repetitive work that can really be done by computers today and putting information in the hands of people who are trained to evaluate it and use it to solve problems as opposed to doing repetitive tasks 
building a culture that was excited about that um, was, you know, was a challenge. Uh, building a culture where information is community property was a challenge. In our company, uh, just about any information you can think of is, is available to just about anybody. Um, you know, I've worked in organizations where uh, just getting a hold of information can almost be an impossible task. So building our culture up and getting it ready to take on a task like this was really, I think, the second part of the challenge. I think the third part of it was deploying the software systems. We have 30 different software platforms, most of them integrated with our billing system today. We have a data center that has the capacity to, you know, with our fiber optic network to serve almost 8 million people. Um, we're processing data off of our meters today uh, in 15-minute increments and off of our automated switches generating waveforms every 60th of a second. In a typical year, we used to generate by uh, reading meters once a month, you know, just hundreds, you know, 11 million meter data reads a year for our 175,000 metered customers. Uh, today, we're generating 6 billion uh, meter reads alone, and with the smart grid automation uh, that is now in place, uh, you know, it's closer to 30 billion data points. Uh, all of our trucks today are equipped with computers uh, on a wireless network that's backhauled over our fiber network. Uh, if a customer is, needs to be connected, signs up to be connected, or has a problem with their fiber, and one of those trucks finishes the job, and that next job is close by, our systems will reroute the truck right to the customer as quickly as possible, and we'll stay there until the problem is solved. Uh, if somebody was, has a, had an issue with paying their bill and we had to terminate their service and they came in and paid it, the minute they pay their bill, a message goes out to one of our crews and they're dispatched right away to get their power back on if we can't do it across our automated system. Uh, we're taking 75% of our bills today are paid online. Uh, that's a huge new development for us. People aren't writing checks and sending them in any longer. Um, we're processing the data that just physically manages our electric system. Uh, all of the automated switching I described, our, our SCADA system, what's called our SGMS system, our smart grid management system is a, a data warehouse that houses all this data and allows us then to pull that data out and populate all these different systems uh, that allow both the electric system and the communication system to function. So becoming a company that is, you know, as much in the in the business of developing software uh, as we are in managing infrastructure, delivering uh, electrons and megabits, uh, and you know processing bills was I think the fourth big challenge we had to take on and be successful at. And then the last one was we had to build the fiber optic network and it had to work. Um, we had to build the smart grid and to physically go out and put it up. And at the end of the day, it had to work. People had to see a difference. And, uh, you know, when, we, when it was all said and done, we knew that if building the networks, if they, they were going to have to work, and, and that uh, in doing business with us, that our customers were going to have to see that these systems made an improvement beyond a system that, fortunately for us, they were reasonably happy with and had been for 80 years, 
And then finally, for our communications business, we had to go out into the market and actually convince people that it was worth the time and effort to change from one service to ours. And um, that's been very successful so far, but getting the confidence of the community, preparing, changing our culture, and our, not just our leadership, but all the way down to the, you know, to the entry-level people coming into our company to think about work in terms of serving customers, solving problems, and making things work. Deploying those automated systems that really facilitate the culture of problem solving and managing an infrastructure that uh, is now not just an electric system that de de delivers uh, kilowatts of electricity, but a fiber optic network that delivers uh, you know, uh, gigabits of information services. Mm -hmm. That may have been a longer answer than you wanted, Craig. Sorry about that. No, no, no. I think that, that actually capsulizes and summarizes stuff pretty well, and I think that uh, if you are, you know, you've got a group of folks that you're talking to that are at the beginning phase of this process of either building a network or planning it and so forth, that people need to understand what the um, challenges are that lie before them and what are some of the key things they have to keep in mind as they go forward. I mean, we had uh, back in 06, 05 and 06, the whole Muni Wi-Fi craze, and everybody wanted to build a Muni municipal wireless network. And people went at it, you know, in, in a number of different ways that were all wrong. And, and there weren't enough folks standing there at the front end kind of explaining these are the important things you have to do. And I think that, you know, breaking things down to these four components pretty much lays out, you know, the key stuff, the mantra maybe that communities need to adapt, uh, whether they're going to own the network, whether it's going to be a public-private partnership or any variation on, you know, a way to run it, you know, structurally that they've got to have these four, these four points down pretty well and, and pretty much live by those. And um, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry, go ahead. I was just agreeing with you. I was agreeing with you. I think I think the the we we have had people from all over the world come to Chattanooga to see our system. We've had folks from Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Japan, uh, Israel, um, France, uh, the Netherlands. Uh, we've had people from literally from uh, from Canada, uh, from all over the world come to look at what we we are doing and. You know, they always ask, "What's the number? You know, what's the number one thing you would say absolutely do to be successful?" And we always tell them, "Earn the knowledge to build and manage one of these systems yourself. Gain that knowledge in your own people. Invest in them to acquire that knowledge. Don't make the mistake of deciding to do this." and writing up an RFP based on a business plan and hiring a, comp a you know an electronics manufacturer or a consultant to come in and build the thing for you and um, you know once it's built they will have been paid and they'll move on and they'll probably have some kind of a service contract with you but you're going to be left to run a business and you want you want your people figuring out how to make these software systems work. You want your people figuring out how you want the communications 
network and the smart grid to function within your established business processes. And so investing in your people, and it goes back to the culture issue, to earn the knowledge to do this yourselves, that's what gets buy-in with your existing workforce. There will be some people you'll have to hire with individual skills that you typically won't you know, find in an electric utility network, engineers and so forth. But you're going to find that a lot of the people, uh, a lot of your workforce, once they understand that there's a real opportunity for them to expand their horizons, uh, they'll take advantage of the opportunity and they'll surprise you. Mm-hmm. Now, I would contend that uh, it is important, even if the public utility or the community or if, if the local government doesn't run the the network, that whatever structure, public-private partnership, uh, you know, you get investments coming in from local businesses, whatever it is that you do to create this network, that there has to be an extensive amount of ownership of the process of using that broadband and making sure that the broadband is being used for the economic development and other outcomes that you want to generate. Is that a, a, a true assessment, do you think? Well, I, I think I think it's true that um, that once you have that kind of broadband capacity, you need to you know you want to have already engaged with the community to to kind of um, start to generate some energy and momentum around the idea of I now have this new infrastructure, I have this new business opportunity, I have this new uh, community development opportunity. What do I do with it? Um, so, you know, we have taken kind of our approach has been to support Chattanooga in this arena. We have seen our our schools do some uh, to begin to uh, adapt the technology. All of our uh, K through 12 schools, most of them have 100 megabit symmetrical internet service now. Um, we've seen our university, uh, the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, uh, has a national center for computational engineering. They've been developing software systems for public safety that are based on the fiber optic network. Um, we've seen some interest in our hospitals. Our hospitals have been looking at business models for uh, delivering uh, health care services out to some of the more remote rural communities around uh, our service territory using the fiber optic network. We have a radiologist here in Chattanooga. Uh, who moved from Boston because he couldn't get the bandwidth he needed for his radiological business here in Chattanooga. He's doing online online reading, x-rays, MRIs, CAT scans, uh, you know, doing it all online. His business is growing. Um, you know, our public library system has really embraced the idea of the network and the idea of the library becoming a community gathering space uh, not for you know just reading books, but for sharing media and ideas, and even developing applications for information and ideas, similar to what you may have seen at the turn of the 20th century when people in the arts were sharing ideas in that way. Our library seems to be morphing in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I think the the community as, as a whole. As more and more people learn about the fiber optic network and the opportunities that it offers them, and and that does take some time for people to begin to kind of go, wow, hey, oh, I have, I 
I have I have this pretty cool internet capacity now, uh, and start to begin to engage in how can I take advantage of it. Those things are absolutely beginning to happen. I think I think the biggest thing I would say past the you know the economic development uh, advantages which we have seen in reality is that is that the fiber optic network and the smart grid have just generated a lot of enthusiasm and energy. People, uh, you know, it's a source of optimism that the future will be better than it has been because they have this unique tool and everybody, you know, more and more people are engaged intellectually in how do I take advantage of this? How do I do new and interesting things with it? Uh, there are things happening in the art community here in Chattanooga. Uh, collaborations on painting and uh, music. We did a, a demo at a uh, at our uh, spring festival last year, where we had uh, T Boone Burnett, who used to play with Bob Dylan, he played over. He played uh, at a concert in the park over our fiber optic network, and actually played live with a local musician. Uh, and they were able to sync up both of them playing guitars and singing uh, from uh, Los Angeles, California. The low latency of our system and some software that we acquired to make that work called Lola. Um, uh, you know, have allowed the public to see that kind of collaboration happen in reality. So, mm-hmm. growing and it's evolving. Um, you know, we're we're very optimistic that we'll only continue to grow and evolve. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the um, uh, I, don't, I would a question that has come up in discussions with some other folks has been, um, you know, you 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 and a number of companies have fiber internet services uh less than a gigabit speed before you you, you came out and and had and and, off, and started offering a gig so in essence you were starting at lower rates and so some of the companies sitting on the sideline or or just starting to get engaged may be wondering if they should you know incrementally deliver services should they incrementally deliver services over one part of the town and then kind of expand the to other parts as a way of saving money? Uh, really, it comes down to like a money management or cash flow management question. But, you know, you guys have done the exercise of, you know, offering one set of services and a faster set and then blow off the doors and now we're offering a gig. Um, is there any difference in going at this incrementally or, or are there any advantages in doing it incrementally or should communities just take the gig plunge from the get-go if they are planning to build a fiber network? Well, it, it, that would depend on their network architecture and, um, you know, all the way from what's called the optical network termination point, basically the box that goes on the side of your house, all the way back to your your ISP, your servers, and your video head-end. Um, it really would depend on your architecture as to how much bandwidth you might allocate to your customers starting out. I, I would say that if I were planning to build another network today in another town, um, you know, with the way that bandwidth growth is evolving as the Internet continues to evolve from a medium you know, we all kind of came to know it in a text world, and then it became text and still photography, and then the text has begun to emerge to merge with video. And really, the the internet is headed eventually toward being a medium of, uh, you know, full motion video and uncompressed sound. And you know, video is really the bandwidth hog today. 
Um, you know, Netflix is consuming 40% of all the Internet traffic, and as Amazon's video service continues to grow, I mean, video is just bigger and bigger and bigger as over-the-top programming evolves. People expect to be able to watch, um, you know, programming or interact with YouTube on multiple devices. Uh, you know, really, from a customer's perspective, the smart thing to do today is to move rapidly toward the, the idea of a gigabit Internet service um, because, quite frankly, the demands of the network uh, are going to catch up with it fairly quickly. Um, we started out, when we launched our service, we started out with a 15 uh, megabit, you know, symmetrical service. Uh, we doubled that service overnight after just a year without charging anybody anything just to say, uh, you know, because just to kind of celebrate a year in business, we doubled everybody's service. Then we doubled it again. Um, and today, everybody has 50 megabit symmetrical Internet on our service. You can get 100, 250, or a gig service. And, uh, you know, we expect in the future that there, we're just going to be growing our bandwidth capacity uh, because of the timeline when we built our network and hadn't been that long, but you actually have to go out and replace the optical network, the ONT box on the house, uh, when you get up to these bigger bandwidth speeds. Um, you know, when we're moving in that direction today, if I were going to build a network today, I would just start there. Okay. So, so there's no real incremental, uh, there's no real monetary value in doing this thing incrementally. Well, I think I think that 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 the revenue you want to attract, you really want to you want as much broadband capacity as you can get for your investment dollar, and I think you know you you're really um, you're you're building the network without giving too long an answer to it. You're building a network on the cheap, um, mm -hmm. and when you go to upgrade it, you're going to find it costs you more than it would have just to build it with the full capacity from the start. Even though once you build the fiber, the change in capacity, at least to the customer side, isn't all that great, um, which which I think is well. I, I guess what I'm trying to get to is that if on one hand people are saying the the charge to incrementally improve the network once you lay the fiber in the ground is not that much between you know 15 megs or 50 moving up to a gig because all you're doing is changing electronics on the ends of the, you know, the cables. But is what you're saying that there there are more costs than just some quick uh, you know, swap of cards or whatever on the on the um on the physical infrastructure that there are more costs involved with doing a a change in what you offer the public? No, no, the 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 physical cost of building the network, of building the fiber itself, of putting it up um, of, of building your uh, nodes and your LCP cabinets and installing your splitters and all that, whether you're building a system with less capacity or more, our network is what's called a gigabit passive optical, optical network. Mm -hmm. um, we first started into this uh, looking into the technology. It was, it was, was BPON and it was EPON and it was GPON available and Really, everybody is moving today toward a GPON uh, architecture. This is what we would recommend uh, that you build. The cost to physically, uh, you know, run the lines, the transport, the feeder, and the distribution fiber, 
is, you know, would be the same either way. It's the network electronics and the electronics at the customer premise that you have to upgrade. And, you know, at the customer premise, if you have to change something out, um, you know, you have to roll a truck out there and you have to schedule a time. And, you know, there's a cost associated with those things. Um, you know, we're, we, we have, uh, for customers in Chattanooga today who elect the gigabit service, we go out and we put a, uh, for, you know, a much more robust ONT on their house uh, to, you know, to facilitate that. So, you know, I, I, I guess, uh, you know, a good way, a good analogy here would, you know, maybe to give a little bit of a shout out to the folks out in Kansas City at Google here, Craig, um, you know, they, they really have, I think, you know, done this right in terms of, you know, of course, we started before they did, but coming out and just billing this as a gigabit internet service um, is really the right thing to do today because um, the reality is that it's becoming much less about a gigabit or a thousand megabits per second, and it's becoming much more about the things that are facilitated by that. You know, you may not need a thousand megabits per second or a gig for one application, but you may be doing multiple things in the future where having that kind of bandwidth means you get the low latency and the fast upload-download speeds that don't interfere in your comfort or convenience. And that's really what the gig is, it represents today. It's almost kind of like the idea of a singularity in computing power, you know, that eventually will reach a singularity where computers are are processing as fast as the human brain does, and we're heading toward that very, very fast, and we all know Moore's Law, the capacity of uh, microprocessors is doubling constantly, and of course, you know, even that is expected to start to plateau now and level off somewhat in the semiconductor industry. Well, the broadband in you know in the broadband world, there are islands in the United States now where this broad this kind of capacity is evolving and growing. Where all of us that have invested in it, we're all hoping that we're going to benefit from the innovation that comes from that. Uh, but we're all seeing, you know, most of us are seeing a robust business model. We're seeing improved service. We're seeing happier customers. We're seeing a good financial model in action. Uh, we are seeing energy in the community and greater economic development prospects. So, you know, the idea of uh, of doing this halfway from the beginning, I would argue, will just end up costing you more in the long run because you will eventually have to expand your network and mm -hmm. the capacity of your network, and it would be just it's just a wiser economic move on the front end to do that from the start and. Uh, and, and let your market grow into the capacity. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. So in these last uh, few minutes of the show, I'd like to touch on one thing I guess a lot of folks also wonder about, which is how have you managed to um, uh, base, fight off what is basically a national behemoth and and get customers and, and maintain customer loyalty in the face of what I'm guessing is incredible competitive pressure from Comcast and whomever else might be the big players in Tennessee? 
Well, our, our major competitors in, in Chattanooga are Comcast and, and AT&T. They, uh, they are the two um, probably, you know, incumbent um, providers here in town. Uh, most of our customers have come from them. Of course, DISH and DirecTV are also available here. Um, I guess the thing I would say about our competitors, we did spend a lot of time studying our competitors and trying to understand the economics of what they were doing and the capacities of their technology and, um, you know, just how they do business and why they operate the way they do. But I think really at the end of the day, um, the way to handle competition is to focus less on the moves of our competitors and focus more on the concerns and needs of our customers. Uh, mm -hmm. That's really been our philosophy. Um, uh, the you know the cable association and Comcast tried you know sued us both in local and state court, uh, trying to stop us from getting into the business in the first place, and those lawsuits were were thrown out. Um, the, we went to the public and asked if they wanted to do this. Uh, the uh, you know our competitors launched their own PR campaigns to you know get your mayor and your county commissioner and your City Council representative to vote no on what we were do, doing, but the pu public overwhelmingly, um, you know, responded that they would like to see us do this. So did the business community. Now there are people in town who were against it. It was not, you know, it was not a unanimous thing, but the vast majority of our customers uh, who responded when we asked were, were in support of it. Uh, our philosophy on our service has been not to offer the cheapest service in town, but to offer the best service. We've consistently priced our services just under the competition, and what the competition has done is they've undercut that price and then come in with a lot of promotional pricing schemes, and uh, really, you know, our, our approach today is that we have the premium service that's affordably priced, and we have the best customer service, and when you have a problem, we'll be out there to fix it as fast as possible, and we won't quit working at it until you're satisfied. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for, from our competitors' standpoint, just by their very size, um, you know, we I think they probably struggle to provide that kind of customer service. Our network is more advanced than theirs, and so it has a greater capacity uh, than than our our competitors. Uh, they do offer some really deep discounts here in Chattanooga, and for people who uh, are looking for, you know, the cheapest possible service they can get, um, you know, there are people who are benefiting from that. Uh, our uh, customers that uh, have elected so far not to go on our service, because there are a few customers on a older infrastructure, they're getting better service than they had before. Um, you know, we promised we wouldn't have any rate increases uh, for the first three years, and we recently just had our first very small rate increase, and we've had very little response from the public about that. Our competitors uh, were raising the rates every year until we went into the business. So, you know, they we, we have seen Comcast lost, launch their infinity service here. Comcast, you know, Chattanooga's Comcast customers are getting advantage, the advantage of the Comcast Xfinity service. Xfinity was deployed in New York, Boston, uh, uh, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Dallas, Houston, Miami, and Chattanooga, you know, places. So the fact that we built the network is 
has just brought, you know, it's brought network upgrades here. They've upgraded to their DOCSIS 3.0, uh, you know, network, uh, the compression technology designed to improve service. So, um, you know, it, it has improved. They've improved their service here. Um, you know, I would argue that we, we offer the best value and the best customer service in town. Um, but we, we have not spent a you know, inordinate amount of time on the notion of trying to play chess with any of our competitors. It's our philosophy to focus on the customer, and if we do a good job for the customer, the rest of it will take care of itself, and it's proven to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would uh, say that what you're doing makes a lot of sense, and, and obviously the proof is in... Um, you know, your ability to stay ahead of the game and have done very well and, and have survived a bunch of strong wins. So that's that's good and obviously very commendable. And, and, you know, obviously from my point as a broadband champion, I feel that, you know, what Chattanooga does and all the communities that are inspired by Chattanooga, uh, all of these things collectively are a very good thing for both Chattanooga and the uh, the nation as a whole. So, you know, this is a good thing. We hope so. We hope so. So, in concluding, I will actually see you guys on the 6th of August oh, great. for your demo day, which is yeah, going to be... Yeah, great. We'll look forward to having you in town. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna be a good time. I look forward to seeing the folks that are there. Uh, what's in about two minutes uh, or less... What's the the big or the next big thing that you guys are hoping to accomplish with the network? Well, the the, the next big, really big uh, deal that we're doing is we have re-engineered and redefined all of our commercial products for uh, uh, for the business community. So when we initially EPB went into the telephone business in 2000, and we entered the internet business in 1994. And that was for commercial customers. And when we built the fiber optic network, uh, you know, it was for residential and commercial customers, but we really had not re-engineered all of our commercial products uh, to, um, you know, to, to take advantage of the expanded capacity of the fiber optic network. So uh, we're going to be offering a whole new raft of voice video uh, data and managed services for the, you know, a much more expanded managed service option that we'll be rolling out uh, later on this summer uh, that is designed to offer our, especially our our small and mid-sized businesses, uh, both, you know, a combination of communications, IT, and uh, data services, storage, data processing, um, you know, um, uh, you know, system repair, software updates. Uh, a broad range of services that we think will, um, you know, give us give us a, a new burst of energy in in that arena. So I Excellent. think that's probably the next big thing that's coming. Okay. Well, I, it is time for us, unfortunately, to have to, to to sign off. But Jim, thank you very very much for being both uh, my my first guest and my most recent guest. That's <laughs> my pleasure, Craig. Thing. Thanks for having me on again. This has been fun. All righty. Well, you take care. Have a great day. And to our audience out there, thank you uh, once again for your two years of support. Uh, continue to watch and uh, to continue to listen and, and talk about the show to all your friends and colleagues. We will be back at you again later this week. Take care and have a great day.